Okay, now we're now we're on record. Don't anyone say anything stupid. <laughs> Too late. Okay, so <laughs> we're in Second Corinthians chapter eight. In a moment, we're going to read verses one through five. We usually think of grace in the way that John Newton thought of it. God's goodness poured out into his life. Grace in his mind, and and, and in reality, was not of him at all. It was from God. And that is, I want to challenge your thinking today on a subject um, that doesn't always, uh, it's not always related in our minds to grace. Today we're going to step back into Paul's second inspired letter to the church meeting in the city of Corinth. Last week, we took a little hiatus for Mother's Day. That's a break. We skipped over to Proverbs. And uh, the week before last, we finished up 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And that puts us in chapter 8 today. See how good my math is? (laughs) <laughs> that's all the good math you're going to get today. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. It, all, all the math is going to get thrown out the window here in just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the fact is, I hesitate to come out and mention the topic of today's sermon because I know the reaction that it automatically elicits from people. When pastors talk about giving... People have instinctive reactions. If you say, well, Pastor, how do you know that we might have instinctive reactions? Well, let me tell you why. Because I am a people. And I I know my own instinctive reactions. Okay? So, if I miss the mark on your account, just think, well, Pastor Josh must be way worse than I. (laughs) Um, most will instinctively think that either giving more or giving at all is not for you. Okay, that's going to be the instinctive reaction of most people. That giving more is not for me. Right? That's not something I can do. That's not, that's not for me. Or giving at all is not for you. And you think giving is for somebody else, it's not for me, because of my situation. And <laughs> the idea is that, you've, is that what you have is not useful to God. And, 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 and maybe you wouldn't come out and say it that way, but think about it for a minute. If your instinctive reaction is, giving is not for me, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and and not assume that you're a stingy person, okay? I'm going to say, you just don't realize that what you have is valuable to God. You think that what you have is not valuable to God. Perhaps you also think that you cannot yet afford to give. Um, So which was a private way to do that. So, (laughs) 
but since there's not, I'll go ahead and bring attention to it. Um, so, and, and I want to emphasize the word yet, because that, that's, uh, that's generally how generous people, who are, you know, people who are typically generous think about giving, is, oh, I plan on doing that at some point, right? So you think that you just can't yet afford to give. And you're planning on someday of being able to afford to give. Here's the thing. Both of these ideas, that, that what you have is not useful to God, or that you cannot yet afford to give, both of these ideas are false. All right? But, but let me once again give you the benefit of the doubt. They're based on some pretty good logic. Okay? This isn't based on false, selfish logic. It's based on human logic. How many humans have we got with us today? Okay, about four of you. Um, that's a little disturbing, but... <coughs> no, when I say pretty good logic, I mean logic that makes sense to humans. All right? Something about being human is that the same math applies to all of us. Doesn't it? That's the thing about math. I'm not a math guy. But there is something I appreciate about it. One plus one always equals two. That's what it does. I'm not going to look at Irene because she might correct me because I'm not a math guy. <laughs> and and here, here's something else. One thousand is always substantially more than ten. I mean, that's just good math, Right? That's the thing about being human is this math applies to all of us. And, I mean, except for, unless you're a politician. Oh, sorry, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> next, next to 1,000, 10 is truly insignificant. I mean, if you have 1,000 of something, Ten of that thing is, is negligible. <laughs> That's just math. Let me make the application the way we tend to do uh, in regards to, to giving. All right? I'm going to make another statement that, that maybe some of you are going to reject right away. Okay? So don't reject it right away. Just hold, hold, stay at the table for a second. All right? Everyone has disposable income. I know. See, I, you, you, you can't help yourself, can you? You're like, not me. <laughs> Let me explain. If you buy cigarettes, coffee, candy, cookies, you have extra money. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to pick on wasted money a couple of times today. So, And I cannot think of anything more wasteful than buying cigarettes. Um <coughs> Hey, don't you be picking on coffee. <laughs> okay. All right. So, <clears throat> but that's disposable income. Disposable income is income that if you don't spend it the way you spend it, you will die. Okay? All right. So, that, that's disposable income. Now, if you have, we're, we're going we're gonna to finish the math lesson here pretty soon. We're about to throw our math out the window. If you have $10 worth of disposable income every month, 
that, that's feasible that you might have $10 worth of disposable income every month. You might think <coughs> that giving is for the person that has $1,000 of disposable income every month. I mean, that kind of makes sense. And, and make no mistake, I'll admit, that's good human logic. That's pretty good math. You imagine how much God could do with a thousand dollars. And you just automatically think that your ten dollars isn't going to make that big of a difference. Now, I am not critical of you for arriving at this conclusion. Because like I said, that is just good human math. However, you have forgotten one small thing. God is not human. Okay? He is not limited by our math. The conclusion then is that God can do as much with your dime as with the millionaire's lavish gift. He is not limited by our math. It doesn't make sense to us that my dime might accomplish more in the kingdom of God than the millionaire's hundred thousand that he drops in the plate. And if anyone did that today, God bless you. <laughs> I just shot my whole sermon right there. <laughs> now here's the thing. Here's the thing. We tend to think that way. That... <laughs> that our dime, God, God really isn't going to be able to do nearly as much as he would with that $100,000. You see, you're thinking like a human. And God doesn't work that way. This is the God that turned one little boy's afternoon lunch into a feast for 5,000 people and then collected an incredible amount of leftovers. Now, anyone, anyone here do math like that? If you do, you get little red X's, right? <laughs> they still do X's? Little red X's? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, here, that, see, that's the thing. Are you following me now? We tend to think that our little bit doesn't mean that much to God. And so we hold it back because, I mean, come on. What is, what is my dime? There's people out there with $1,000 worth of disposable income. I don't think any of them go to our church, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, and... And so you think that your little can't, God can't do much with your little. Now, if you put it that way, then you start thinking, well, wait, wait a minute. Maybe my little, God can do a lot with. Because that's how God works. He's not limited by your math. That kind of math, it doesn't work in normal life. But it works just fine for God. The other obstacle that I mentioned is the ability to afford to give. Many people are planning to give. 
And they, they just think that it isn't something they can afford right now. And once again, from a practical perspective, I know this and you know this. That if you'll be honest with yourself, if you're waiting until you can afford to give, you never will. And I'm not touching that. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying, though. That's, see, here's, here's why. You'll never be able to afford to give more than you can now. Everyone can afford to give. God makes this very clear. That giving to his work results in his blessing upon us. And his blessing comes in several forms. One is just the the natural result of organizing your finances well enough to regularly give. I mean, take God out of the picture. If you've organized, and I know we're in church, so... Don't worry, we're not going to take him out of the picture for long. I'm just trying to make a practical point, all right? (laughs) If you've organized your finances well enough to contribute a certain amount to anything on a regular basis, your finances are going to go further because you've organized your finances in that way, okay? Just, Just from a practical perspective. But then let's bring God back into the picture after all. We are in church. <clears throat> the result of, uh, of, of organizing your finances in that way is, is a more efficient use of your every dollar. Other blessings from God include, may include increased income, better work opportunities, less expenses, more energy, and many, many more things that God pours out on us. And you know why he pours out blessings on us that we don't deserve? Because we're in the blessing zone, right? And and when we're in the blessing zone, when we're obedient to his will for our lives, and that includes in the area of giving, God pours out these blessings into our lives. The blessings of God are always worth the obedience he demands. I might even go as far as to say the blessings of God are always worth more than the obedience that he demands. I do not know how God will bless you if you obey him. But I know this. You really can't afford not to give. Because when you obey God in this way, he's promised to come through for you. Again and again and again. That if you'll be generous, he'll return to you many fold. In good measure, pressed down. Quality stuff. That's how God blesses people who give. And I think maybe one of the reasons why we tend to think that we can't afford to give is because, well, we're not enjoying the blessings of God in our life. And that's why we can't afford to give. And I'll tell you this. um, There's been often times in my life when if people uh, would ask me, how do you give so much? I really can't answer that. I have no, I I don't know how we managed to do that. 
And I mean so much in comparison to how much we made at the time, you know. I, I don't All I can say is that somehow God makes it work. <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I've learned a, a, a new way of living that includes God's blessings poured out in my life. And I kind of depend on his blessings to pour out in my life. And turns out God hasn't failed me yet. Maybe one of these days there's a promise he's not going to keep, but so far he hasn't. Thank you. (laughs) (coughs) So, now some of this sounds just a little too good to be true. I want you to stick with me, okay? Our text shows the commands of God on this issue and also the practical application of it. Let's just read our text now and see how these truths were applied in the church in the city of Corinth. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. That is such an awesome verse. We'll come back to it. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and in utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know that the grace of our Lord, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I gave my advice, I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to will, so there, might, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be, a, be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now, at this time, with your abundance, may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much hath nothing over, and he that hath gathered little hath no lack. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage that does so encourage us in the area of giving. And we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to see your truth here. Not to doubt it, but to believe. And we we pray that you would help us to grow in this area in our lives. That we might enjoy your blessings in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by giving you some truths (coughs) about giving. What we find in the first half of this um, passage that we've just read is just a list of four basic truths about giving. And... The first truth that we can see um, in the area of giving is that giving is a grace of God 
for the giver. Now, once again, we had talked about grace as being the goodness of God poured out in our lives. But don't we often think about our giving as us bestowing grace on him? I mean, isn't that like the natural way to think about giving? That, I'm gonna, let me be a blessing to you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you something, right? That's how we think about giving. But that's not the way. That's not the way the Apostle Paul frames this whole subject. You see, in verse one, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. That means we want to let you know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Notice here that the churches in Macedonia are the givers in this situation, not the recipients. And yet they're shown as being the recipients of God's grace. <clears throat> God's goodness is poured out on the churches of Macedonia that Paul's, Paul is raising up as an illustration for the, for the people in Corinth. And he's saying, man, God's grace is poured out in, in that church. And you can tell that it's, their giving is God's grace poured out in their lives. Grace is just that. It's God's goodness poured out on man. And being a giver is a great blessing from God. If you're a giver, you know this to be true. If you're a generous person, you know that it is such a blessing to give. And it was a clear teaching of Jesus himself, as it's mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 20, and verse 35. It says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring, laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, receiving isn't the grace of God. Giving is the grace of God. So we've got to change our mindset about giving so that we understand that giving is the grace of God in our lives. Let me, let me just illustrate how much we want that. How many of you want God's grace to pour out in your life? Good. Okay, so giving is how God's grace is poured out in your life. Okay? Um, because it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. And if you don't know this, if you don't know that it's more blessed to give than to receive, you're missing out on one of the great joys in life. Giving, and I'm not just talking about you know putting money in the offering plate. That's just part of this, okay? Giving is one of the greatest joys in life. And if you don't enjoy that, if you don't have that as a disciplined practice in your life, then... You're, you're missing out on one of God's great graces poured out on mankind. If you're thinking of giving as something that is a, a blessing to someone else, you're only half right. Giving is of itself a great gift from God. Let's move on to the second principle. The first one is giving is a grace of God for the giver. Here's the second principle that we find in verse 2. Poverty does not preclude generosity. Okay? The word preclude means um, <laughs> to make the other impossible. Okay? Poverty doesn't make it impossible to be generous. As a matter of fact, here's what I've found in my life. 
Many people who have the least give the most. And and I don't I'm not talking about dollar figures here. I'm talking about like percentage of what they have. And they're happy to be generous. Poverty does not preclude generosity. I want you to look at the illustration that Paul gives to the church in Corinth about those churches in Macedonia. He mentions in verse 2, he says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. This, is, this one is absolutely essential that you grasp Remember this, God is not limited by your math, okay? He's not limited by your math, so let's quit making those, those human logic excuses. His math is different than yours. Remember how Jesus spoke of the widow um, whose measly little offering was dwarfed by the lavish gifts of the Pharisees? Remember, remember that story? Mark 12 and verse 42 starts it, And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. I mean, we're talking pennies here, folks. All right? A pittance. And, and he called unto him his disciples. Jesus said, hey, hey, all of you come over here. This is important. I want you to know this. This is going to change your life. He says, and saith unto them, verily, I say unto you, this poor widow has cast, hath cast more in than all they that have cast into the treasury. Do you get what he just said? Because Jesus knew, <coughs> Jesus knew what that what that uh, that gift was to her, and he knew how everyone else had given. He knew their motivation. He knew that what they thought they were doing was just coming in and maybe fulfilling an obligation. Maybe they were coming in and dropping big money in the, in, in, the, in the offering box there and making sure everyone saw them do it, whatever. Whatever their motivations, Jesus said this. I want you to throw your math out the window when it comes to giving. Because that widow gave more than everyone else in this room. So, so that, 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 that idea that I, I can't give because of my poverty... You see how Jesus is disputing that, that idea? Poverty does not preclude generosity. She gave more than everyone else had given that day altogether. How can that be? Beloved, your giving doesn't make God richer. You understand that? Your giving doesn't get him out of a bind. You realize that, right? God isn't like, whoo boy, I hope the offering is good today. <laughs> Got some bills to pay. Um, I mean, they're, they're, paving, they're paving streets in gold up there, you know. It, it, he doesn't need your money. That's not what this is about. This is about God blessing you, okay? What your giving does is it prioritizes his work in your life. And it puts you in the blessing zone. This is not limited to people who can put more in the offering plate. It's an open opportunity for everyone. Your poverty 
does not preclude generosity. The next thing we see is that willingness is the key to impact. You see this in verses 3 and 4. For to their power I bear record, yea, <coughs> and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. The Apostle Paul says, I'll tell you what, they had a certain amount of ability, and, uh, and, and I, I, I bear record, they were willing to do more than they were able. <laughs> All right? He says, and that, and that is what made the impact in my ministry, the Apostle Paul says. He says, just in the next verse, he says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They started a movement. And, you know, this follows closely on the heels of the former point. And that the benefits of giving have nothing to do with how much money is involved. If there's any money involved. It has to do with willingness. And, and the thing that God was blessing in the churches in Macedonia and the impact that the churches in Macedonia were having was not because of the size of their gift. And I dare say, it, it was probably a small gift. But the impact was because they were willing to give more than, than, I mean, they, were, they were willing far beyond their abilities. <coughs> the churches in Macedonia made an impact in the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his church planting team because of their willingness. They were willing. Had they the resources to even do more than they did? And that's what made the impact. You see how God is less interested in the amount of money that you put in the plate than the condition of your heart when you do it. You see? He's interested in your willingness. What you put in the plate is, is only uh, um, partially related to that. <coughs> Paul was challenged by their willingness to further this giving ministry to the Jerusalem church which is what the collection was for. We move on to the fourth point, the fourth truth about giving in this first section of the text. And what we see in verses 5 and 6 is that you are the greatest gift that you can give. Okay? The greatest gift that you can give to God is yourself. Now, you see that in verses um, 5 and 6. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. In other words, what Paul is saying by saying not as we hoped, he's saying they far exceeded our expectations. Okay, And they gave, they gave of themselves. They, they gave themselves to God's work and were willing and available to do anything the Apostle Paul needed. In regards to this particular ministry, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Paul is looking at this thriving body of, of, uh, of believers in the city, cities of Macedonia, and he's saying, man, God has poured out his blessings on them because of their willingness to give of themselves. And he says, 
they're so happy and they're so satisfied in their relationship with God. They're so excited about it. He says, I want, you know what? I want the church in Corinth to enjoy some of this blessing that they're enjoying. And that's why he wrote chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. He says, you've got to get in on this. This is awesome. He, he, says, he says, you give of yourself to God and man, it'll just energize your whole Christian life. How they gave of themselves really isn't clear in the text. And it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that they did give of themselves. Perhaps some money also exchanged hands, but that, that's not the most impressive part of their gift. They presented themselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. Where have I heard that? It's like the Apostle Paul wrote to the... Uh, um, church in Rome, Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you give yourselves to the Lord, your money will just become part of how God uses you. That's God's intention for every aspect of your life. See, what I have found is if I jump into the water with my wallet in my pocket, that my, my money gets wet. Anyone else notice that? How many of you have, have hung your money out to dry? Both dollar bills. Right. I don't actually have any dollar bills. But... <laughs> I've, I've hung old receipts out to dry anyway. <laughs> no. Yeah. That, that, see, that, what happens is if you jump into the water, your money gets wet. And you know why? Because you, that's just a small part of what got wet. That ain't the only thing that got wet, right? I, all, I got all wet. I, my clothes got wet. My body got wet. My hair, both my hairs got wet. I... <clears throat> It got wet everywhere. You see, what I'm trying to say is this. When you give yourself to God, your wallet's just included, all right? It's, just, it's actually just a small thing. And <clears throat> you are the greatest gift that you can give to God. And it is a reasonable gift to give yourself to Him. All right, so... How can we do this? Why don't you give me some tips for giving? Oh, sure. I'm glad you asked. Um, <coughs> that's how the rest of the passage closes out. We've got like five minutes, so we should be able to do this. Um, verse 7. Give as part of your spiritual growth. You've got to see it this way, folks. Give as part of your spiritual growth. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. How many would like to abound more in your faith? Yeah? Okay. How many of you would like to abound more in your uh, bold speaking of the Word of God? Yeah? Amen. Boy, because we all want to grow in our relationship with Him. How many of you would like to know more about this book? 
All right, that's why you're here. Okay, so um, how many of you would like to be more diligent in your life, in your Christian life? Yeah, Man, we're all over it. We want to grow in, in our spiritual life. We want to grow closer to God. How many would like to love more? Just, oh my goodness. Boy, we want, we want these virtues to expand in our life. And Paul says, don't forget this one. You need to grow in this Christian virtue as well. It's part of your spiritual life. It's not separated from it. He says, See that ye abound in this grace also. I mean, you want God to pour out faith into your life. You want Him to pour His knowledge into your head and into, into your heart. You want Him to, you want His boldness to take control of your mouth. And, and, and you want, you want all of these things. Do you want him to help you to give more? Huh? <laughs> it's hard for us to think about that as, as part of our spiritual growth, but that's how he frames it. The Corinthian church had been blessed to develop spiritually in ways that the Apostle Paul commended them often. They abounded in these important aspects of spiritual growth. You can see from verse 7 that they had learned to believe God and to live by His promises. That, that's what it means to abound in faith. It's, it's their belief. According to our text, they also abounded in utterance. This uh, word utterance is translated from the Greek word logos. You know what that word means? Word. Um, so, <laughs> now... And, and if you actually just throw that in there, it, it sounds a little bit awkward. It says, um, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and word and knowledge. So you can see what he means by that, although utterance it actually puts a little more action into it. And it's a great translation of the word logos. The word logos, it, it's without the definite article. So it just means that they abounded in word, in speaking. Thus, the accurate translation Utterance. What this all means is that they had grown spiritually to the point that they spoke boldly and often of their faith. That's how you could tell about their spiritual growth. They abounded in this aspect of their spiritual growth. Remember the evidence of being filled with the Spirit, as is often shown in the book of Acts? It's to speak boldly about Christ. And the people of the church in Corinth, they did this abundantly. Um, the, the next thing we see about the abundant spiritual growth of the people of the church in Corinth is that they also abounded in knowledge. And this comes from studying the word of God. They became like the, the Bereans. They studied and they learned and they knew the word. Their knowledge of it increased. And this is an often commanded spiritual development. Paul tells Pastor Timothy, uh, he's the fellow we're studying in our men's Bible study on Tuesday, by the way, guys. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We know that knowing our Bible is a sign of spiritual growth. 
The next aspect of spiritual growth for which Paul commends the Corinthian church is diligence. They'd shown this diligence by following the instructions of Paul's last letter, in which he had pointed out some real shortcomings in their development. Remember, 1 Corinthians is a little harsher than 2 Corinthians, right? And they, they were working on themselves. They were not satisfied with where they were spiritually and morally, and they were diligent to continue their journey and let God do his perfecting work in them. And they were not content to coast into heaven after getting saved. They, they wanted... They wanted to accomplish something for God, and so they were diligent. And then Paul commends them for their love. It's the greatest of all the spiritual gifts, and they had abounded in this also. Paul saw himself and his church planting team as recipients, beneficiaries of this love, and was grateful that they had abounded in it. And then finally, in the context of this list of signs of spiritual growth, Paul says that he wants them to grow in this area also. This isn't just about funding the work of God. (coughs) We know that funding the work of God is a byproduct of giving. But Paul hardly mentions this at all. He only presents it as an area in which the church of Corinth could grow spiritually. Because we tend to think of our giving as something that the church needs. This area of our Christian life is often tainted by human perspective. God sees giving as just part of your spiritual growth. And if you'll view it in this same way, you won't be discouraged that you only have a little bit to give. You'll be encouraged by the fact that you did give. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Second tip for giving. Yep, we took all five of those minutes. Okay, so um, (coughs) that was the longest one, though. Okay, here's the second tip. Give out of love for Jesus. That's like a no-brainer. Right. We had another passage in uh, Second Corinthians. I think it was just in the last chapter, right, where um, everything is supposed to be out of love for Jesus. That's what constrains us to work for him in the first place. You see this in verses eight and nine. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For, you know, that the grace, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Paul here is both softening his his application of this truth and bringing to bear the greatest motivator of all in ministry. He starts here by framing this issue not as a standard that they all need to meet, but as a sign of their sincere love for, for Jesus. If we see giving as a requirement... If you see giving as a necessity, to use a term that Paul uses in the next chapter, we'll get there next when we do the next chapter, we're missing the point of giving altogether if if we see it as just a necessity, as as a requirement. We don't give because part of our income belongs to Jesus. You realize that? We don't give because, oh no, that part's part's his, so I've got to make sure he gets it. That's not why we give. We give because we love Jesus and our finances are just part of what we have to show our love. See how that changes our whole outlook on giving? With this mindset, the person who gives a dime can be just as happy with their worship as the person who drops in a hundy. That's short for a hundred. 
I know some of your older folk were like, what is he talking about? Oh, you younger, a C note. Oh, that's way too cool for me. All right. <laughs> See how Paul, sorry, I'm going to get dignified someday. See how Paul frames this issue of giving in light of the work of Jesus that he mentions in verse 9? Jesus left the glory and the abundance of heaven so that he might live among his creation as a man. He divested himself of all the trappings of glory so that he might share with us what we did not have. Remember how he gave? We needed righteousness. None of us had enough of it or in any quality that was pleasing or satisfactory to God. He had it in abundance. And he traded it for our sin. This means that he had to hang on the cross in punishment for our sins. And he did so willingly, giving what he had so that we might benefit. He took our poverty and gave us his riches. Look how Paul encourages the church in the city of Philippi to think of others in light of Christ's generosity. In Philippians 2.4 he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but (coughs) made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's in light of this generosity of Jesus that we should give. We give because we love Jesus, who gave so much to us. The third tip for giving is give according to a plan. Verses 10 and 11, you can see, um, (coughs) he speaks of them being forward a year ago. Do you see that in verse 10? Now, being forward means that they, they were thinking ahead. They had made a commitment in the previous year. And Paul uh, I lost my place. <laughs> Paul frames this in the way of practical advice. He mentions that this would be expedient, which is another word for practical. In the word forward, Paul implies that they'd made a commitment. This is the best way to arrange giving. If your giving is a spur-of-the-moment type decision, you're going to do, do two things. You're going to accomplish two things. One, you're going to overextend yourself because you didn't prepare to give. All right? You've got you to plan on this. You've got to plan for it. That way you're not giving away your grocery money. Right? Hey, God wants you to eat. Okay? <laughs> He's the one that designed your body that way, okay? So you've got a plan so that you can, you can give. So one, if you, if you give haphazardly, you'll overextend yourself. Secondly, you're going to rarely give because rarely are you going to have the capacity to do so. <laughs> and this is, just like Paul says, very expedient, very practical advice. It applies to every aspect of our finances, not just giving. You know this to be true. If you, if you just pay bills as they come in, Hoping that when the time comes you have the money to do so, you're going to end up in arrears quickly. If you just buy food as you feel hungry, 
You're going to spend your money unwisely. And that's why, that's why when I go to the grocery store and I'm hungry, oh man, I, I almost have to get a bag, you know? <laughs> almost. Um, <clears throat> if you, if, 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 um, let me try this again. If you just buy food when you feel hungry, you're going to spend your money unwisely, and at the end of the m- month or the pay period, you're not going to have any money. The reason you plan out your spending is to make sure that you don't run out of money before you get more. Right? These are just like this is just like practical advice that the Apostle Paul has given us here. It's just practical wisdom. If you don't plan it out, you're, and, and you might find yourself buying cigarettes on the fifth of the month. I told you I was going to pick on wasting money, and and, uh, and then hungry on the twenty fifth. How'd that happen? There's no plan. That's why. It's just a lack of planning. Now that we've established the wisdom of planning ahead in finances, make the application to your giving. Make that part of the plan. Don't drop in half your income at the beginning of the month and then try to figure out how to eat the rest of the month. Okay? Don't give impulsively. Give according to a plan. Um, Plan how you will give and then stick to the plan. Notice the Apostle Paul is saying this in, in verse 11. Give according to a plan. Okay, one more one more tip for giving. Give as you are able. We see this emphasized in the last part of verse 11 as well and in these closing verses. Don't think of giving as something you have to bear because no one else is going to bear it. It isn't about anyone else. It's about you and God. You're encouraged to give what you can. No more, no less. Verse 12 says it it starts with a willing mind. And God finds your giving acceptable for that reason. Don't lie to yourself and convince yourself that you do not have enough to make a difference. God isn't bound by your math. Don't give like he is. I don't know too much. I could probably end that sentence there, huh? <laughs> I don't know too much about who gives and what they give. That, that's on purpose. I try to keep that portion of the church business off my radar. However, I know this. That giving is a blessing. And I cannot imagine living any other way. If you're missing out on this blessing... Let me encourage you to abound in this grace also. To some extent, I feel like the Apostle Paul. He saw how the, the giving that the churches in Macedonia had so energized their entire spiritual and Christian life that he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, you've got to get a piece of this. This will revolutionize the way you think about your, your religion. This, this is going to really help you. And that's the way I feel. That's, that's, the, that's the same desire that I have for you. It isn't that, boy, we've got to get some more money in this plate, so I'm going to come up with a given sermon. Right? That is not what this is about. It's not about paying the church bills. This is about you developing in this area of your spiritual life as well. And I just want you to enjoy that blessing. And that grace of God in your life. 
Now, if you think you might buy your way into heaven with your giving or with your good works, you are sorely mistaken. It's only by wearing the righteousness of Christ that you'll enter into God's presence. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and, a, and I can't think of a more appropriate one than <coughs> number 308 in your hymn books, I Surrender All. Because quite frankly, God doesn't want you just to surrender your wallet. He wants you to surrender you. You're the best gift that you can give him. Your wallet just happens to be in your back pocket. All right? Why don't you stand as we find that? I surrender all. If you'd like to know more about how you can get into a relationship with God, have an eternity in heaven, and take advantage of Christ's giving on the cross, just come forward while we sing this first stanza. All to Jesus. I surrender.